And now, Audio Theater Central. Hello, welcome to Audio Theater Central. This is the show that's all about family-friendly audio drama. I'm JD. This is episode 172. Now, this is a jam-packed episode. I know I've said that a lot in recent years, but it's definitely the case here. And as I mentioned in last episode, all of this content was actually all supposed to be in the last episode. But there was just so much. I didn't want to make the episode too, too long. So I decided to go ahead and split it. And so in this episode, you're going to get a review of Freedom, William Bradford and the American Pilgrims. I will be joined by ATC contributor Michael Schrader for that review. I've got some feedback from Blake and Greg and a bunch, and I mean a bunch of audio drama tidbits, some really cool stuff going on that we definitely want to get into. So let's jump into it. Well, first of all, there are a few updates on the ATC website that I wanted to make sure that you are aware of. I know that not everybody follows the website on a regular basis, so I always want to make sure to share what's going on there in the show. And first of all is a post that I recently put together responding to a question from a parent about where should his family start listening to Adventures in Odyssey. I know we've talked about this question before on the show in the past, and I do believe that the answers we gave at the time were were good answers. But my opinion has shifted a little bit over the the years. And so I decided to go ahead and take his question and use that as a basis for writing out a full post with my recommendations as of these days. So I know that the majority of our listeners are already avid fans and listeners of Adventures in Odyssey. But maybe you have friends or relatives who aren't, and you'd like to introduce them to the show. This would be a good resource, I think, to help them decide where to begin. So link is in the show notes if you want to check that out. Where should I start listening to AIO? Also on the website, we just recently published a a page where we are going to be tracking our picks for the Dramafy service. I know that we've received some feedback from some of you who are not sure what is good on the platform because yes, as I said a few episodes back, we do not endorse every production that is on that service. So this is going to be a page where we will keep up on the list of recommendations. So we'll try to listen to as many things as we can and check them out. And if it's something that we can endorse, it will be added to this page. So our Dramafy picks, it's a link right on the homepage of audiotheatercentral.com, but you can also use a direct link, which is audiotheatercentral.com slash Dramafy. And lastly, for website updates, we just published our latest in our series of themed audio drama lists. And this one is the ultimate list of Bible audio drama. So again, these are ones that we're going to be adding to, and this is a pretty exhaustive list, and if there are any that are missing, definitely let us know, as Darby Kern already did let us know about a production, and we have added that to the list. So again, these are resources for you. If you're ever looking for something in particular, maybe something you had heard of 
and you couldn't remember the title or something, there's a good chance that it will be on this list. Austin Peachy did a lot of work on this list and some of the others as well. And we're just continuing to update them. Another one that I just recently updated was our Chilling Tales for Autumn list that was originally curated by ATC contributor Joa. And um, we just recently added a couple more to that one. So these are all linked on the homepage of the website, like I said, under the category themed audio dramas. And if you hover over that, it'll drop down the different ones. We hope these are helpful to you. Again, if you see something that you think should be added on any of these lists, let us know. We'll definitely check them out and and add them if it's appropriate. Well, for this next item, I have to give a shout out to the Adventures and Opinions blog and podcast. They uh, were the first to break the news that Gary Locke will be making a cameo in an upcoming episode of Adventures and Odyssey. He will be voicing some sort of shop owner in the uh, November Adventures and Odyssey Club episode. So this is his first appearance on the show after doing the art for, for many, many years. All the album art, the exclusive episode art, artwork in Clubhouse Magazine, books. Um, so he's been the main artist for Adventures and Odyssey for, for several years now. And now he's going to be making an appearance in the audio show. So that's really cool. And again, uh, shout out to Adventures and Opinions for breaking that news. The next item is uh, one that is a bit of a downer, and that is the the team over at The Watch Audio Drama has posted an update saying, quote, due to delays due to various personal commitments, we are postponing production of The Watch. They said it has been and remains our goal to present the very best in audio theater, and that includes ensuring the scripts are of the quality we expect of ourselves. We are therefore working diligently to make that happen. So that was posted by co-producer Randy Strew. No word yet on when the show might be coming back, but they did say it will be coming back. It's not like they're canceling the show, but it is on hold for the time being, and we will uh, bring you updates on that as soon as we have more information. Well, Audio Imagination 77 Productions has updated us saying that they are working on a soundtrack to their release from last holiday season called A Gift. It's going to have full versions of several of the pieces that were heard in the score, uh, plus one song that has lyrics, and it is scheduled to release on November 1st, according to producer Matthew Warner. And once that project is completed and out there for the world, he's going to begin writing their fourth play, which is uh, scheduled to release in fall of 2023. We also have an update from Markowitz Audio Works, whose production of The Cask of Amontillado was in this year's Seneca Awards. They just released uh, an adaptation of Edgar Allan Poe's The Telltale Heart, and they are working on another of Poe's stories, The Mask of the Red Death, that has been recorded and will be released late 2022 or early 2023. But this one is really exciting. They are also working on a Christmas story. It's called Three Christmas Trees. That is coming this December, 2022. And it is adapted from a story written in 1867 by Juliana Horatia Ewing. And according to producer Jason Markiewicz, he said, 
quote, I loved that story and wanted to do it for Christmas. It's a story of wonderment, love, faith, and family. So that is coming this year from Markiewicz Audio Works. Now, this next item is something that Roy came across and he let me know about it, and that is that VeggieTales has a podcast. Now, many years ago as a kid, I remember hearing some uh, audio productions from VeggieTales. I know that most people know them for the cartoons, but I do remember hearing some audio productions from from that team, and I had no idea that they recently started doing new audio productions as a podcast. So it's called VeggieTales, Very Veggie Silly Stories. And it was launched earlier this year. They've put out 15 episodes so far. There hasn't been anything since late August. So I don't know if this is the entire run of the show or if they're doing them in seasons. But it's it's very fun and funny, as you might expect from them. So here is the trailer for that show to give you an idea of what you can expect. Hey, kids. Do you like to talk to tomatoes? Yeah. Can a squash make you smile? Um, I guess so. Do you like to waltz with potatoes up and down the produce aisle? Yeah. <laughs> Have we got a podcast for you. Wait, wait, wait. Podcast? Since when do we do podcasts, Larry? We've done TV shows, movies, the occasional dog show. Why not a VeggieTales podcast hosted by Bob the Tomato? That's you, Bob. And Larry the Cucumber. That's me, Bob. Will there be music? Oh, yeah. Lessons from the Bible? It's what we do best. Dancing? I'm literally tap dancing right now. And most importantly, do we get to talk to real-life kids? All the time. I don't know, Larry. What about all our other friends? Will they make it? Get in here, guys. Roll call. I'm Junior Asparagus. I like singing and hanging out with my BFF, Laura Carrot. Petunia Rhubarb here. I'll be bringing surprise guests onto the podcast. Also, I've recently enrolled in trapeze school. See? This podcast is going to be so surprising. The name is Lunt, Mr. Lunt. International man of mystery by day, animal translator later that day. Animal translator? I don't think that's a thing. Ladies, please. What about Madam Blueberry? Wee oui, wee! Oui. I wouldn't miss this for the world! Pa Grape? Did somebody say my name? Jimmy and Jerry? We're here! But only for the snacks! Archibald? I've prepared a fascinating lecture on the history of Aztec agriculture. Bob, are you crying? I'm just so happy. The whole gang, back together! Thanks, Larry. This podcast is gonna be great. Any last words before we begin? Everybody, let's say it together. It's together! Uh, how about I start, then you finish? How about I start, then you finish? Hey, maybe just you and I should say it. Good idea. Remember, kids, God made you special. And he loves you very much.
Well, St. Benedict Radio Theater has been working on an adaptation of the Father Brown story, The Invisible Man, for quite a while, and it sounds like they are finally getting ready to release this. They're tentatively planning for a December 2022 release. So here is a little teaser, a sample scene from that upcoming production, The Invisible Man. Well, my dear, if he were the devil himself, he is done for now that you have told somebody. One goes mad all alone, old girl. But when was it you fancied you felt and heard our squinting friend? I heard James Welkin laugh, as plainly as I hear you speak. There was nobody there, for I stood just outside the shop at the corner and could see down both streets at once. I had forgotten how he laughed. Though his laugh was as odd as his squint, I had not thought of him for nearly a year. But it's a solemn truth that a few seconds later the first letter came from his rival. Did you ever make the spectre speak or squeak or anything? Yes. Just when I had finished reading the second letter from Isidore Smythe announcing his success, just then I heard Welkin say... He shan't have you, though. It was quite plain, as if he were in the room. It is awful. I I think I must be mad. Really excited about this one. It sounds like it's going to be amazing. I know some of the cast members, Rich Swingle will be in this, Trisha Rose from the Audio Drama Alliance. And uh, I know Dominic, the producer, has been working very hard on this production, so... Looking forward to hearing this finished product. Now, this next item, I know that we have mentioned these before, but it's been quite a while, and I wanted to make sure that everybody was aware that Lamplighter Theater has been working with composer John Campbell to release soundtracks from their audio dramas. The last time we mentioned it, there was only a handful of them released at that point. There are now 13 total, including recent releases like The Hidden Hand, Dash to Pieces, and The Unlikely Wise Man. Now, these are not available on CD. It's digital only and only through their website. And they're only $7. I mean, that is a really, really good deal. Uh, With the exception of The Hidden Hand, since that was such a long one, it is basically like two full Lamplighter Theater productions. So that one is, uh, I believe it was $12. But Really good price, and if you're a music fan like me, these are these are great additions to your music collection. So link is in the show notes, directly to the soundtrack page on the Lamplighter Theater website. 1232, an audio epic, the production that we mentioned a couple of episodes ago that was in the Kickstarter phase, has reached all of their stretch goals for that crowdfunding campaign. So that's exciting for them, and... They said that that will give them the funds to produce two full seasons and some extra bonuses and stuff. They are already working on recording season two. So if you were one of the backers of that campaign, season one will be coming for you soon. And then uh, it will be made available to the public sometime after that. But it's all in the works now and will be coming soon. I know they added... Uh, Nato Jacobson and Jonathan Cook to their their cast. And so I'm looking forward to checking out this production once it is available. Now, the Audio Bible Super Production, which we have been following for 
well, for a couple of years since they first announced that they were going to be working on an English translation. Now they've announced it is available in Spanish. So I believe this is their third language. The first was Polish, then English, and then now Spanish. And I'm going to play a sample here in a moment, but this is interesting. They made a decision here that I'm not sure why, but at least for the main narrator, they used actors with a Castilian Spanish accent. And again, I'm not exactly sure why they did that. This dialect of Spanish is, to my understanding, only spoken in like North and Central Spain. So the vast majority of Spanish speakers around the globe do not speak this. So I don't know why they would have used that, why they would have chosen to go with that particular accent or dialect, but that's what they did. And so here is a little sample of La Biblia Audio Super Producción. I know my Spanish is terrible, but here is a little sample from the book of Genesis. Al principio, creó Dios el cielo y la tierra. La tierra estaba informe y vacía. La tiniebla cubría la superficie del abismo. Mientras el Espíritu de Dios se cernía sobre la faz de las aguas. Exista la luz. Y la luz existió. Vio Dios que la luz era buena. Y separó Dios la luz de la tiniebla. Llamó Dios a la luz día y a la tiniebla llamó noche. Pasó una tarde, pasó una mañana, el día primero. Y dijo Dios Exista un firmamento entre las aguas Que separe aguas de aguas I would be curious to know if you are a Spanish speaker who speaks a, a Spanish from Central America I would be interested to hear your thoughts on this and whether it's a big deal to you or if it's not that big of a deal to hear an entire production with this particular accent. But in any case, it's impressive that they've been able to produce another entire production of the Bible word for word in in just a short period of time and and get it out there. My guess is that what they're doing is keeping the the score and the sound effects and all of that basically the same and then just relayering the new voices over the top of that. But still, that is a huge undertaking. And so I'm glad to see that they're doing this in so many different languages. All right. Our last audio drama tidbit item is there are a whole bunch of updates from the Nick Guy Private Eye audio drama series. They have recently released uh, multiple volumes, volumes 58, 59, and 60, The Moth's Rust and Thieves Affair, The Phantom of the Ice Opera Affair, and The I Do, I Do Affair. This last one, The I Do, I Do Affair, uh, features Alicia Hansen and Jonathan Cook of Eternal Future Productions in starring roles, and producer Frank Uli said it was so much fun working with them. And he also said that this installment of the series and the apologetic that it is based on was inspired by 
the recent wedding of his son, Daniel, and he was asked to officiate the wedding. And so as part of the preparation for that, he began studying into Genesis chapter 2 and the idea of marriage, and all that research generated the idea for this installment of, of the Nick Guy Show. And so I thought that was a cool little tidbit to share. But in addition to those recent releases, there are also two more that are in the works that will be released very soon. Um, one is Nick Guy and the Play It Again Sam Affair and Nick Guy and the Goodness and Justice Affair. Now, the Play It Again Sam Affair, he said that that one is a parody of the movie Casablanca. And featured in the cast is Glenn Haskell, who is playing a Humphrey Bogart-ish sort of character. And yours truly gets to play a uh, small role in this upcoming Nick Guy production. So that was really fun. He's a fun character, which I will not say any more about because I am i don't want to give any spoilers. But um, if you're a Nick Guy fan, look for J.D. Sutter in the Play It Again Sam Affair. Well, that'll do it for all of the updates. Now it is time to bring in Michael Schrader and jump into our review of William Bradford and the American Pilgrims. They were pilgrims bound for a distant shore As they put their shoulder to the oar As they raised their sails for the great unknown they begun their long journey home They were seekers often blind Well, let's talk about freedom. William Bradford and the American Pilgrims from The Brinkman Adventures. Yes. I am really excited to talk about this one. Uh, this is a fantastic audio drama that was released in November and December of 2021. It was released in two parts. So it's 13 episodes total, but it's split into two parts. The first one has six episodes, and the second part has seven episodes. Total runtime of over five and a half hours. So yeah, fairly this is a decent. Long one. Yeah, yeah. Now, the point of the our reviews is always to share our thoughts on productions that we really liked. Some of the things that we may have thought could be done a little bit better and to try to do that without giving away, you know, any spoilers, generally speaking now with adventures, not reviews, you know, those are free for alls. We do go into spoilers on those. Now the problem with something like this is that it is a historical story, so it's yeah. People have had four hundred years, uh, JD, <laughs> to learn this story. So I don't know if if you haven't learned the story by now. No, I'm just kidding because there was a lot in the story that I did not know. So I uh, should not be speaking about whether or not people know this history because there were many things that surprised me and uh, that was very interesting to learn. Yeah, so we're gonna try to steer clear of. Some of the things that you know you may not have known, but we're gonna we're gonna still talk a lot about you know a lot of the events and things. So uh, hopefully that won't detract too much if you haven't heard this production yet. But um, oh, there's man. so much. There's mean, some things that surprised me that I wanted to get your take on. So you might have to just edit me out. JD is <laughs> gonna try to avoid spoilers. I'm just gonna talk about them and then he'll take them out later. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, it's it's there. There's so much here. It's five and a half hours long, 
And if we yeah. try to completely, you know, go spoiler free, it's, you know, there's just so much in the latter half that we would have to avoid. So, you know, we'll, we'll do what we can, but just yeah. want to We're not you... going to tell you if they made it to America or not. That is one spoiler we are going to keep uh, under the hat, so to speak. Yeah. Um, you're just going to have to listen to find out if the Mayflower made it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, this is not the first Thanksgiving or uh, Pilgrim-themed audio drama that we've talked about. We've talked about The Legend of Squanto from Focus on the Family Radio Theater before. And we've talked about the Plymouth Adventure from Colonial Radio Theater. Now, both of those are great shows, but they they only tell a portion of this larger story. Yeah. And this one, it kind of, it just do, does the whole thing, right? Like the yeah. legend of Squanto really focuses mainly on Squanto and then his, his whole story of when he was kidnapped and taken to Spain and, and everything. But so there are some similar topics that are covered between the three of these, but this one really goes into detail I guess what I'm trying to say is that they all do complement each other. They're not mm. like they're not like vying for the best one out of this tale here. Uh, mm. Is that making any sense? <laughs> yeah, but I'm still going to choose the best one. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, yeah, it does make sense. And uh, and there were things even in I was because I was thinking about that Squanto radio theater uh, drama. And there was something about Squanto in this later. That might be a spoiler. I don't know. But that was, it sh completely shocked me. I was like, what? No, not Squanto. But, uh, yep. and I do not remember that being in the radio theater. Was it? I don't remember that either. I don't think it was. It's I think been a few years since I've out. heard it. But um, I, yeah, I think they did leave that yeah. part out. <laughs> and then there was also in the uh, Truth Chronicles that um, Focus on the Family did, but it was an Odyssey album. And they had a two-part episode called, I think it was called Stepping Stones or something. Do you remember that one? And it was telling the story of the pilgrims. And I remember the names like William Brewster and William Bradford from that. Mm -hmm. um, but listening to this one, I felt like I got, you know, such, well, obviously that one was, you know, two half-hour episodes. And this was five and a half hours, you know, telling the yeah. uh, the same story. So I, I remember I had a hard time following what was going on in the Odyssey uh, episodes, but in this one, it was such an in-depth treatment, and I really felt like I got a much better grasp of the story. Exactly, yeah. Well, as you probably can tell, or if you've already heard it, then you know this, but this is a story about the pilgrims, but... <laughs> oh, was that a spoiler? I think I said that. <laughs> but there is a summary, an official summary for this production, so would you uh, do us the honors, Michael? Four hundred years ago, 102 men, women, and children crowded between decks of a small cargo ship named the Mayflower and set out for the New World. Who were these people, willing to risk everything and move to a wild, untamed land? Why did they go? What did they do? And does any of it even matter today? Using talented voice actors and including recent discoveries, Freedom, William Bradford, and the American Pilgrims tells a riveting and timely tale of determination, endurance, and conviction. Yes, yes. So... I think any person growing up in America knows the 
name of the Mayflower and the word that pilgrims and Plymouth Plantation and those kind of things. But as you mentioned just a moment ago, this really goes super in-depth. It's like a, well, one of the primary sources that Ian Boldman, the writer of this, used was William Bradford's journals. And yeah. so it is almost just like that, journal entries of just moving through time, th really going deeply into the story. And I found it just fascinating. And, and I think the word that they use here, riveting, is fitting because mm. there were several moments where I'm just like trying to keep my mind on my work and listen at the same time because <laughs> I'm listening while I'm working or something. But it's just like, wow, I got to I gotta stop for a minute and just listen to what's going on here because it's so good. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah, there was definitely some uh, incredible moments. And it did seem like they were using a bunch of original sources. And that I felt like that really added to what we were reading because they were they were using – I think they said three main original sources and one was from William Bradford and one was from Edward Winslow. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, and even just the things that they put in there about like that manuscript from William Bradford, how it came to us today and how it wasn't around for a while. And th that in itself was a great story just of mm -hmm. how they got the manuscript, you know? So, and, uh, yeah, it just felt very well researched. I really appreciated it. Yeah. So it was written and directed by Ian Boltman and some script editing by Joanne Boldman. And, and Darby Kern also consulted on this script. And then they had a couple of historical consultants, Tracy McKinsey and Leo Martin. So there was a, a lot of people involved in making sure this thing was historically accurate, wow. was a, a good, you know, well-paced script that works for audio. So a lot mm -hmm. of hands in there. And I think... It was well worth it. Like it came across so well. Yes, that really showed. All the consultants and everything, they, they really put um, their best effort into this drama and that came across. Music by Jared DePesquale and sound design by Joshua Boldman, Rob Jorgensen, and Alan Hurley. And uh, man, what what an amazing team that they've had, they put yeah. together for this one. Yeah, the music was so good. And I, you know, I, as soon as I saw it was Jared Pasquale, I was like, well, of course, you know, but the, the different um, instruments that he used for different parts of the drama, and you could tell there was certain things he was working with when they came to America and like that, you know, I don't know what instrument it was, but it makes you think of like Native Americans, you know, that, that, do you know what instrument that was? I don't know. But then, and then the ones that from back in England and in Holland and it was. Yeah. So he had a, a few different kind of flutes and stuff and some yeah, drums yeah. and things that he used. I, I do know that. Uh, yeah, yeah. That woodwind, I think is what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Whatever, whatever that was. Yeah. It's a, it's an absolutely beautiful score. And speaking of the score, by the way, that is available. It's it's on Spotify or other digital outlets if you uh, want to grab that. I actually was just listening to it just a few days ago. Um, just it's beautiful, and I actually, for some reason, I just the, the opening theme was just really resonating with me the other day. I was like, man, this is just absolutely gorgeous music. And so wow. I took the Spotify link to that particular track, and I sent it a to some of my friends in a group text that, uh, that I'm in who are not like massive audio drama fans. Like they're familiar with audio drama, but they don't listen to it like I do. And I said, Hey, 
listen to this piece of music and just tell me what you think. Tell, tell me, I think I said something like, tell me if this is not one of the most beautiful pieces of music you've ever heard. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> several, several of them are like, oh my goodness, that is amazing. It's so beautiful. Wow. And like, so it's. Wow. That's great. Yeah. It's, it's such beautiful music. Like you could listen to it without even having heard the audio drama. Mm. If if yeah. you like that kind of stuff, which I do, I love listening to soundtracks. So, yeah, I was very impressed with the music and the sound design. There was a lot of uh, I I was noticing in my second listen through like a bunch of different sound design moments that I really appreciated. So, awesome, yeah. Well, put a pin in that because we we definitely want to talk about those. But I thought it was worth mentioning that this production picked up several Seneca nominations this year. And actually took home the win on uh, in three categories, best long form audio drama, best original score, and best cover art for part two, specifically on the cover art. So just, just, uh, I, I believe that this, which I think you heard in, in the last episode, as I was talking with Ian Boltman about this production, but I think this, in my opinion, was the best release from last year, just all around the, the performances, the production values, just a fantastic story. So let's dive into it and let's play a clip here to start this uh, off. Let's open it up with uh, one of the uh, earlier episodes. And this is a clip of them as they're preparing to flee from England. Or th that's the episode title. It's, it's called Fleeing England. But there is a particular scene that I thought was interesting and I really liked. And, you know, the the it just shows the desire of these people of really wanting to do what they felt the Bible was telling them to do. And, mm, and that was yeah, to yeah. separate from the church of England. They didn't like the way things were going. They felt like it was not biblically accurate. And they said, this is what we've got to do. And that took some courage. I mean, that's, that, that was not oh, a absolutely. light decision. Yeah. That was one of my favorite parts of the drama was that process of making those decisions and, uh, and some of the persecution they were facing and, and everything else. Yeah. Um, very inspiring. So here's a clip uh, where they are voting on their decision on whether they are going to leave the church of England. On a cold February night in 1606, Young William Bradford walked to the Scrooby Manor to participate in a very important meeting. Come in, Master Bradford. He's about to start. Friends, welcome to our home. It was a long walk for many of you, therefore my wife Mary hath prepared some food for after the meeting. I shall get straight to the matter. As we know, the bishop did remove Pastor Clifton from his pulpit. If we wish for him to continue as our pastor, it shall not be through the Church of England. Go the Church of England. Scrooby Manor hath plenty of space for us to gather. But because this is not a church, to meet here would be in violation of the religious conformity laws. Therefore, if we do so, we become separatists in the eyes of the bishop and... The crown. He will do what he likes, no matter what we say about it. We all understand the implications of such a decision. It could send any or all of us to prison. There's no other option. Bear this in mind as you vote. All in favour of meeting in Scrooby Manor, say yay. yay. 
Opposed? Nay? Were there any nays? That's we, one of the spoilers. <laughs> you won't know. <laughs> yeah, so I that scene is just so powerful. Like, And that's not the only one. Like, There are several moments along this journey of they're like having to make these tough decisions. And I think, man, you you know, you look at these kinds of things from history or, or, or even looking ahead to maybe how things are playing out in our country now. And you like, mm. do, do I have that kind of yeah. courage to stand up like they did, you know? Right, right. That, yeah. Putting yourself in their place and thinking about the people who are losing their jobs and getting arrested and... Um, all of those things, and then thinking, you know, what would I do in that situation is kind of sobering. But I did love, like, young Bradford and his, you could tell he's being drawn towards, and he's questioning things about the Church of England and uh, asking his uncle's questions about why certain things were being done. And um, there was this great part where he's, I think his friend wants him to come out and play a game, and he's, uh, quotes something from First Corinthians, and he's and the friend's like, "Yeah, and so," <laughs> and he's like, "That that's a description of the early church. Does that look anything like our church services?" And his friend's like, "Well, just because we don't do it like that doesn't mean we're doing it wrong." I'm paraphrasing, but uh, but I loved that commitment to scripture, you know, to where he and he because Bradford had that uh, like an inheritance, right? He was supposed to be the. Yeah. Lord of an estate or something, and uh, he was willing to give that up because he wanted to follow scripture. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I had that in my notes too. Just such a strong young man searching for a biblically sound church at such a young age. Yeah. Yeah. And walking to another town in order to find, you know, yeah. that guy that was preaching. And yeah. Great. It was really impressive. And uh, I really enjoyed uh, their portrayal of William Brewster. He he was one of my favorite characters, and I, I love the guy who played him did such a good job. It was such a good voice for him, um, Richard Everett. Uh, he did a great job playing him. I thought, and uh, I enjoyed I enjoyed his performance. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And we should say the voice of young Bradford. There's only a handful of scenes with him because as he becomes like a. I don't know, young or an older teen or, or whatever, I think is when Nato Jacobson steps in and then he pl then he plays him for the rest of his life or <laughs> the rest of his life, the rest of the audio <laughs> drama all the way through. Uh, uh, the rest you know, of Bradford's life, not yeah. Nato's. <laughs> <laughs> but he was voiced by uh, Gideon Rosa, who was a Brinkman Adventures fan and had uh, submitted an audition through a contest that the Brinkman's put on a, oh. a while ago and got to play a character in it. And he did a fantastic wow. job. Yeah. Yeah. I, I never would have known he uh, that he didn't do it professionally, you know? Yeah. And his friend, uh, Paul Barker, was played by Ronan Morling, who is the son of Kathy Sarah. Really? Wow. That's cool. Yeah, I met Kathy Sarah at one of the Lamplighter Guilds, and she's she's a really awesome uh, person. So that that's really cool that her son was in it. Yeah, and she's fantastic. She played Mary Brewster, mm -hmm. and I think a few other characters as well. Because I thought I picked up her voice on a couple other ones too. Yeah. So as we mentioned, NATO plays William Bradford, and he also plays our story narrator Seth, who is uh, 
uh, museum curator or director of a museum. I'm not quite sure if they ever said what his actual title was, but he works at a museum in Plymouth and he just does such a good job at, at all those characters. I could not believe that was Nato Jacobson when I saw the credits because he sounds like an older guy he, and he's, you know, got a, an accent, like an East Coast accent. Yeah. But, um, but he plays, you know, Bradford and, He's not just doing an English accent for one and an East Coast accent for the other. Like, Seth sounds older than Bradford. <laughs> you know, like, uh, I mean, maybe, you know, I don't know what he's what he does with his voice, but that he's very talented. In, uh, in, cause, and he was playing both of those throughout the whole drama, you know? It right. was, there was a lot of lines for both of those people. And it was very consistent. So I was, I was very impressed. I think it was a really good choice for them to frame the story like they did so that they mm. could use that character of Seth as a narrator because – and just to clarify for a moment, <laughs> longtime listeners know that I'm not usually a, a fan of narrators. I, I like to hear the stories that have very little narration, but sometimes it really does make a lot of sense. And in this yeah. one, I thought it did because we're skipping through history, sometimes yeah. by days, sometimes by weeks, and sometimes by years. And so it really helps to have that narrator to make those transitions smoothly as the listener yes. is trying to keep track of what's going on. If they didn't have him there, it would have been hard, much harder to follow. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Even having Jack and Ian Brinkman listening to the story – when I was listening to it, I was thinking Jack kind of provides the uh, the emotional cues of how the pilgrims would have been feeling throughout the story. I, I don't know if you know what I mean by that, but like I noticed that he he would say things like, "Wow, how grateful they must have been," or or how uh, you know how hard that must have been for them, you know. And just and then Ian was kind of providing the modern perspective of asking questions about like, well, what what do you really think about that? And what does this mean or that mean, you know? Yeah. And so, because you could have just had, a, you know, him telling the story to one person, but having them both, it seemed like they were playing those two different roles to me. That is a good point. I definitely picked up on the difference there. And, and I liked how it was typically Ian who was asking clarifying questions. And yeah. that was great too, because it's like, on the perspective of the listener, what they might actually be wondering about. And so. Right. Was Ian was standing in. in for us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And what I've heard in a lot of other ones, when they do choose to have a narrator, a lot of times they set up the framing and then once it moves into narration, then, then it's mm. kind of like just the narrator throughout until maybe like the end. And then the other characters that they're, the narrator is speaking to, then they respond, but they have them coming in all throughout uh, the story and that it just, it just really did work really well. So kudos to, to Ian and, and whoever else, you know, decided to do that. It just works. And um, I think it was a good choice. And speaking about the kind of the setup, <laughs> I love the, the funny thing there at the, or at the beginning where the kids had, messed around with Jack's phone and changed the name his uh, di his assistant digital assistant would speak I forgot what it was but <laughs> yeah I, yeah I remember that I, I I don't think I even caught that the first time I listened uh, I don't know why but yeah that was funny and I did like how the Brinkmans are kind of proud about their uh, connection to 
the the pilgrims and and everything. And then so but when they start talking with Seth, he's like, uh, "Well, don't get too excited. There's there's about four million descendants <laughs> of William Bradford that are still around. Oh, and ten thousand uh, of them still use the name Bradford." Oh, and also there's 35 million descendants of the Mayflower passengers that are still alive in America today. So you're not that special. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Put things into perspective and took some of the wind out of their sails. Yeah. But I didn't realize that, though. I mean, that's that's still a lot of people. I mean, it makes sense, I guess. But I mean, all these people had to come from somewhere. But it's just, <laughs> you don't, I, you don't really think about that. 35 million people. Yeah. That's still, that's a lot of people. I'm jealous. I don't think I'm a descendant of a Mayflower person. Are you? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, my grandma does genealogies. I think she would have told me if I was. I think <laughs> we came over later. <laughs> I I thought, speaking of this setup, is Scott Stewart the host of other Brinkman adventures? I haven't, because I haven't heard very many of those. But Yeah, I think he has... I don't think they usually say the name though. Oh, okay. There's just usually a guy who comes in and like announces the episodes, but I don't recall him saying a name before. So I could be wrong. It could just be another guy that sounds similar, but. Well, yeah. An interesting choice I thought they made was he tells a little incident that happens on the Mayflower, which they do dramatize later. uh, But he just narrates this story about a guy falling in and almost drowning. And I was wondering why they did that. Like, why did they choose that incident? Why did they just narrate it when it's going to be later on? Um, oh, yeah. I never even, I never thought about that. That's a good question. No, I guess I should have just enjoyed it. But I, I it just kind of struck me. I'm like, well, what, why? And then I, and at first I thought, uh, oh, well, he's going to be a really significant character. But he really wasn't. So <laughs> I don't know if, uh, like it, it was a cool story. Like it wasn't uninteresting and it kept my interest and it was a cool lead in. I just was wondering, you know, why did they choose that story? I don't know. Why choose to mention that in the very beginning? Kind yeah, of like, the, right at the beginning. Yeah. 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 I mean, he's kind of like the role of Dave Arnold or Douglas Gresham in the Focus on the yes, Family yeah. radio theater productions there. And sometimes they do go into the history of the work that they're going to be adapting in those. But you're right. That is a, an interesting little tidbit that they decided to pull out right there. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not saying it was bad. I, it was just uh, interesting to me. Yeah. I also thought it was really cool how they chose to write the dialogue in that old kind of dialect of English, like mm, yeah. speaking it in that manner. Because it just felt like it really puts you in that time period. You know, a lot of times dramatists don't often do that because they want to make sure that a modern audience can connect to the characters or whatever. But I really liked it. Yeah, I did too. I, I'm glad they did that. I'm going to start asking people, do you credit this in my normal conversation? (laughs) Yeah. That was a phrase that they used over and over. Yeah. And it was good. And there was once or twice where they used some, like the, a phrase that sounded really modern to me and it kind of jolted me. And there was one phrase like towards the end that one of the Indians used that. And I was yes. like, do you know which one I'm talking about? I think I do. They said something. Do you, do you think so-and-so should do this or whatever? And he says, not really. That, that was it. That was exactly the one I was thinking of. Oh, it was, no, it was when, uh, <laughs> Miles Standish, you know, and he says, do you not love me? So-and-so. And he goes, not really. 
Oh, that's what <laughs> or it was. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. But uh Yeah, that that kind of jolted me. I was like, not really. <laughs> Is that a did they say it back then? And another one was, which I, I actually laughed out loud on this line, but one of the guards in the jail, when they got arrested at one point, goes, I don't know, I just work here. <laughs> and yeah. I don't know if, uh, there's something about the I just work here line that uh, caught me off guard, but it made me laugh. Yeah, I did pick up on that one too. It didn't feel quite as out of place as the not really to me right right (laughs) not really that was exactly the one it was i didn't write it down i'm glad you remembered well you mentioned this a moment ago but bradford was set to receive this inheritance from his uncles like a a whole uh like a manor house or or something like that like just a, a a sizable inheritance it was enough for him to be able to start a business and buy a home in holland yeah yeah um and still have enough left over to, you know, provide for his family. And, and I think that they said they're not sure, but there, there is some inkling that somewhere in the records that he may have helped some of the other families who didn't have any kind of funds to help get them uh, set up in, in Holland with a place. And uh, so if he had stayed in England, who knows where that would, it was a, it was a life of, you know, luxury, maybe, maybe Mm -hmm. not, quite like royalty or anything like that, but he did have a good life ahead of him. And he, again, yeah. chose to just step away from all of that. Yeah. That was certainly the way his uncles were portraying it. You know, that if he chose to go down this path, he was leaving a life of ease behind him. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I, I did want to mention, so this is kind of going back, but uh, what did you think about the way that they introduced the story? They have a scene from later on, and you're wondering where you are, and then all of a sudden it cuts off, and they're watching a documentary. Oh yeah, right at the beginning. I, I I thought that was kind of a cool way to introduce it. I was wondering what your thoughts were. Yeah, I guess I I didn't think too much about it. I when I first heard it, of course, I thought that we were just jumping right into the story. Right. <laughs> yeah, me too. But I did. I had no clue that it was going to be a, a documentary that the Brinkman kids were watching. But yeah, I think it was fine. It was interesting because they used that to set up some conversation later on that, that Ian has with Seth. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess maybe we can wait and talk about it then, but I, it did seem like it really served the point that, and the reason I think this drama is so important in our time, you know, that it matters today so much, like it asked in the, you know, in the summary, if it matters today is because people are spinning the story of like the beginning of America in a lot of different ways. Um, and they portray a lot of the founding fathers, the pilgrims in, in really horrible light. And just hearing that clip shows the danger of taking things out of context without knowing the whole story behind it, mm-hmm. uh, which I feel like a lot of people are doing with, with a lot of things in our history today. So I think it is important that they are tackling this topic in telling the true story, you know, that's very well-researched and everything about, and they didn't shy away from things that were questionable. Right. And I appreciated that too. Yeah. So I, that, I thought it was an interesting way to, to introduce it because of the time we're living in and the way people are talking about these stories today. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I think it, I think it definitely worked. And I think that was very intentional on the part of, of Ian Boltman because yes, the yeah. kind of the goal was to say, we're going to try to tell this as accurate to the historical record as we possibly can 
and not shy away, like you said, from the the tough parts. And Seth mentions a couple of different times, well, hey, these guys weren't perfect. They did this mm-hmm. and that and, you know, things like that. And I did like how Ian Brinkman kind of pushes back a little bit and like, well, what do you, do you think that was the right thing to, for them to do? And, and yeah. so it opens up the whole topic for discussion amongst families as they listen to this, I think. And that's yeah, good, absolutely. in my opinion. Definitely. Yeah. It, and it's good to not just hear that one-sided view that, that we've started to hear, you know, more and more uh, lately. Yeah. And like you've mentioned, there were several things in here that I did not know or I hadn't heard before or maybe I'd just forgotten over the years about the story. And I'm like, wow, this is this is really interesting stuff. I'm I'm really glad that they are going into this, you know. Yeah, I think all I remembered was like I remember learning about the Mayflower Compact in school, mm-hmm. and I remember you know talking about the Pilgrims and uh, the natives having a feast together that became the first Thanksgiving. You know that was about the extent of what I and I knew that it was called the Mayflower. I knew that part, but uh, so I remembered uh, about the Speedwell and them fleeing to Holland first. I don't remember if I learned that in school or not, but I do remember coming across it later in life. And then the uh, colonial radio production that I mentioned earlier, they definitely talk about them going to Holland and everything. And, you know, the, the problems with the ship, the Speedwell, which was originally going to be the ship that they were on and that kind of stuff. But again, this one goes into so much more detail. And even though it's called William Bradford and the American Pilgrims, it's not just, it's not like it's told exclusively from his point of view. It's more broad than that. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned that you really liked William Brewster, and he was played by Richard Everett. I do. And he is, of course, one of the main characters. But I think my favorite was Miles Standish. I loved that yeah. character so much. <laughs> he was played by Peter Morton. And the scene where he's first introduced. In, uh, <laughs> that was one of my favorite scenes. <laughs> yes, it's so good. It's in William That was Bradford's one of the most shop. humorous scenes. Yes, yeah. it, it totally is. it's just, he's a tiny man. They said that he was only about five feet tall and he's just got this huge bombastic personality. And he's just like bursts into the shop and like, you can hear the door smack open and like, he just, (laughs) he invites him to dinner and like, well, he doesn't oh, even really the dinner invite invitation him. was fantastic. <laughs> he just basically tells him, "You need to come to my house for dinner." <laughs> it's... Are you? Yeah. Are you uh, seeing any young ladies? Well, come to my house later on tonight, or whatever. He's like setting him up with a date the first time he meets him. Yeah. So good. And uh, they, I loved how many uh, short jokes they made about him. Like my, I think my favorite line from that scene uh, is when he says that he's, you know, he's buying material for his wife to make him a pair of pants. And uh, he says, I think we'll need about three yards. And William Bradford says, for you, maybe two and a half. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they made short jokes like several other times throughout the, uh, yeah. the drama. Some of the natives make fun of him. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Or even when when they're first landed in America, uh, spoiler alert, but when they first land and, and they're running into the woods and he's going ahead of everybody and somebody's complaining and they, they made some kind of a reference and the guy goes, well, I tower over him, you know, or yeah. I can't remember what he said, but I, I liked how they kept coming back to that, reminding us how short he was. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
You know what's weird is that, and I don't know why I thought this, but when when he first was introduced, I had in my head that Miles Standish caused the Pilgrims a lot of problems. I don't know if I'm confusing him with somebody else or, but I had that name in my head, and I was, and I, I think I even said to my wife when we were listening, I was like, "Oh, he's gonna be trouble," and uh, and then we kept listening. And I'm like, "Man, he's a he's a great character. I love this guy," and I I don't know why I thought that. And maybe maybe I heard some kind of portrayal of him that wasn't good, but but uh, it it was weird that that was in my head. Huh? Yeah, I really do think it, he was my favorite character out of all of them. Well, and Peter Morton did such a good job with oh, him. He's sure. such a good actor. Yeah. Well, speaking of Peter Morton, he also played King James. Oh, man. <laughs> and one of the Indian chiefs, Corbitant. Uh, just, again, you said it, he, he's a fantastic actor. Um, and he does all of these voices so well. The King James, though, it, it was <laughs> it was cracking me up because he's he plays him kind of really over the top and... Um, yeah, he. Um, it was the most caricatured voice I think of any of them. You know. Yeah. So I, I'd asked Ian Boltman about like, is there any kind of historical documentation that he actually was a stutterer like that? And uh, he said he didn't know, but he he does know that he, he was a a pretty colorful character. Like he he was a, an interesting fellow for sure. And I remember listening to a podcast years ago. I think it's called The History of the King James Bible. And it goes into the whole behind-the-scenes huh. story of how that came about. Because this is King James wow. the the first of England. Um, I think he was also James the fourth of Scotland. Yeah, was it Scotland or something? I think so. One, yeah, could be. I'm not all up on my uh, British or United Kingdom history, so oh, I don't know. Me exactly neither. How. I read that on the back of the the cover case or whatever. <laughs> oh, is that on there? Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I don't know why there he's he's different for each for the different countries, but anyway, he, he this is the king who commissioned or ordered the translation of the Bible that we still use today. He was called a theologian, but he 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 definitely had some things about him that were not uh, biblical for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, not the. Not the most upstanding person in the world, I don't think. I did kind of enjoy his poem about uh, the star or whatever, the comet that they were saying yeah. was a sign at the end of the world. And uh, I didn't see that coming, that he was write a poem about it. Yeah. <laughs> like refuting the Scottish Presbyterians or whatever he was doing. It says on here that he was the king of Scotland in 1567, then England and Ireland from 1603 until his death in 1625. So I think maybe he was already the king of Scotland, and then there was uh, there was a merger of uh, the two. <laughs> there was an acquisition. <laughs> there was an acquisition. Uh, I think it had something to do with you know bloodlines and marriage and such. I'm yeah, gonna stop okay. talking. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that would make sense then. Yeah, um, I, it was just kind of confusing to me why I, I, when I was looking up something, it said James the first, and then I saw something else that. Referring to the same guy, I called him James the Fourth, and I'm like, wait, what? I'm now I'm confused. But anyway, <laughs> well, yeah. And on the back of the box uh, or of the case, it says Fourth and First. Hmm. So. Well, again, this character, the way he's played by Peter Morton, is just fantastic. And it's funny to me also that he's not a great guy, and he was 
out to get these guys, but oh, even yeah. all through their time, even after they went to America, they still were always very respectful about the king. Even yes, though they were yeah. they were printing books against him, criticizing him <laughs> while they were in Holland because they didn't agree with things, but they were always still call, you know, very respectful. It was it was very interesting to me the I don't know, their attitude. And there was that interesting line, I forget who said it, but but uh oh, well, I think it was the narrator actually, Seth that said it, but he said they were uh, when they were petitioning the Virginia company to allow them to start a colony in America. Then they wrote down things and he said, they didn't lie, but they weren't exactly clear. And they said, um, we recognize the authority of King James in his dominion. And he said, what they meant by that was they didn't believe he had dominion over the church. So they weren't actually going to recognize the church of England in anything, but they believed in his dominion as in the government, he had authority and they were going to submit to that. Yeah, what what do they call that? It's like very much it's semantics or just right. trying, or or trying to skirt around things. Where... <laughs> yeah, and there was a couple moments like that where, uh, like, when they were the the soldier comes to look for William Brewster on the ship, and he says, "I need to see your ship's manifest." And uh, William Bradford says, "I can assure you, the name William Brewster is not on our ship's manifest." Right, but he was totally yes. going on the ship, but <laughs> it just wasn't on the manifest. <laughs> Yeah. Well, speaking of Brewster, he was printing these books that was critical of the king. And they're like, you know, are you sure you want to do this? Or, you know, this, is this such a good idea? And he has a line where he said, uh, often true faith requireth great courage. Oh, wow. I don't think I caught that line. What a great line, though. Uh, and that kind of just like sums up the theme of the entire thing, right? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I thought that was a perfect line there. Yeah, when you listen to all the hardships they went through, and I know you, you kind of mentioned this earlier, but just to reiterate that point that I was putting myself in their situation and I could kind of, I could empathize more with them leaving England and going to Holland because they were facing such persecution in England and Holland believed in freedom of uh, religion. And so I was like, yeah, I can see that. And I know they went through some hardship to get there. and then, But then when they were going to the America... And the the whole reason they were leaving Holland, what I mean, there I guess there was a bunch of reasons, but it seemed like to me the main reason they were leaving Holland was because that culture was influencing the church and the young people of the church. And so in the one case they were like escaping persecution, and in the other case they were escaping like worldliness and that influence. And I, I especially in that part, I was putting myself in their place, and I thought man, I don't know. And and as they're like, the contract was changing and that the ship had a leak and, you know, all of those things that kept going wrong. And I was like, I don't know if I would have kept going. I, that, you know, even once they're in the, in America, you know, it's like kind of too late <laughs> at that point, but mm-hmm. stuff, the stuff that they started going through there and it was hard to listen to the mounting hardships that kept rising yeah. up, you know? Yeah. And and like I, I mentioned earlier, just the perseverance and the, the courage of these people, because like you mentioned, you know, yeah, the persecution from England, and, and that was the main impetus for them to leave there. But along the way, you know, the, the barge gets stuck in the mud while they're trying to flee to Holland, and they almost miss their ship there, and then they get more persecution from the Eng- English. I mean, there's the... England was still yeah. this huge, powerful 
nation and they still could reach over there into Holland. There was a lot yeah. of, of sway that they had. It wasn't absolute like it was in England, but there was still effects. They were still feeling the effects of that. Right. The king ordered them to come back, you know, and technically they were supposed to obey him mm -hmm. because they were still, you know, they English were still subjects. English. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, they had all of that. And then when they finally make the decision, they're going to leave, make this deal with Weston. He changes the contract terms. And then you mentioned oh, the, the ship. That drove me crazy. Oh, I yeah. was infuriated. <laughs> The Speedwell twice, they, they set out and then it has leaks and it gets, the trip gets postponed. Weather issues while, when, once they finally get on the way uh, on the Mayflower, sickness during that voyage, hard winters in New England, disease, clashes with the natives, trouble yeah. growing and buying food. Weston fails to follow through on his, on the deal. Yes. Yeah. Like just over and over and over there. It's just like. It was just, you would think, insurmountable odds. Yeah, I know. And we didn't even yeah, mention all the, the deaths of their loved ones that these people faced, you know? Yes, exactly. That, that was some of the hardest parts. I was like, man, what in the world? Like, if you were making up this drama, you wouldn't have... You wouldn't have made so many hardships in it, you know, like it was, it's so intense. And some of the people they had to put up with that Weston sent along with them, uh -huh. that, you know, that were, oh man, that, that would have been tough. And Deacon Cushman drives me crazy. That guy. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> he was yeah. a hard character to listen to. Definitely. <laughs> like, oh, you dirtbag. That was definitely on Standish's side. And, uh, sure. when he was like challenging it. <laughs> they even had to split up their families. I'm like, a lot of them left their children yeah. there in Holland and walking away from these this life that they they were there they were there for about ten years. Yeah, they were comfortable there. You could tell. Like, yeah. he even said like that was some of the best years of their life or whatever. Uh huh. Yeah, I was confused about and Allison was too when when their barge got stuck in the mud or whatever. Like everybody was was really freaking out about it at the end of that second episode in the beginning of the third, and I was struggling to like understand what was happening and why it was such a big deal. Like why couldn't they just, you know? And then and then when the like soldiers show up, then it was like okay, well, you know, I can see why that's a big deal. But I I was I didn't I didn't quite understand what was happening during that part. So they were supposed to meet a ship. This is my understanding, and I maybe I misunderstood it, but. They're supposed to meet a ship out in the uh, ocean there, but they were they were coming down a river, and there was a little tributary off to the side where they wanted to. Right. I think they were just going to shelter there for a, a short time, but then when the water level went down, they were stuck there, and they couldn't get the barge back out to meet the ship. And if they didn't meet that ship, that was the one that was taking them to Holland. And oh, they that were gonna ship miss was going to leave. Oh, yeah, okay. they were gonna. Well, and and then they knew that they were there was a chance that they were being pursued, and so the right, right, as right. soon as they could get out to the ship, the better. And they okay. and they were stuck there, and they couldn't, and so they ended up having to move everybody. Like, what was it, sixteen people at a time on a small boat, and uh, get them off of the larger barge? And yeah, yeah, just yeah. a hardship after hardship. <laughs> Stressful. So the Speedwell leaves for the first time on July twenty second, sixteen twenty. And again, that got postponed twice. So they finally leave from Plymouth, England on my birthday, 9-6. Hey. <laughs> Everybody make note of that and send JD. Oh, wait, that already happened. 
Well, and and it, the speedwell kept getting delayed because it was leaking, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a good light in there where they come in the hold or whatever, and he goes, "Where did all this water come from?" And I think it's Winslow. He's like, "From the ocean, I believe." <laughs> <laughs> right. Speaking of Winslow, he was great too. Edward Winslow was played by Daniel Cross, yes. and he was just fantastic. What else does he play, Daniel Cross? Is he in other things I would recognize? Uh, he was uh, several different parts in The Hidden Hand uh, from Lamplighter Theater. Oh, okay. And He uh, has a very distinctive voice. I really like that. Yeah, yeah. And it was good, too, because several of those other British actors, yeah, they have a similar vocal quality to their voices. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, they, they don't sound alike. They don't sound the same, but there's, there's a similarity there. And they were the main characters, Peter Morton right. and uh, Richard Everett, you know? And so that contrast there with Daniel Cross's completely different exactly. vocal quality was really good. Uh, though, if I'm going to be nitpicky- I always knew when it was him. Yes. Yes. But yeah, go ahead and be nitpicky. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I wish he had used a little bit of a stronger British accent. Oh, okay. I mean, it's not a huge thing, but th- that was just one thing that when I first heard him, I'm like, why is there an American here? That's Oh, really? <laughs> in the first couple of scenes. And then I kind of got used to it, I guess. But that was the only thing that I, I kind of wish was like, eh, I would have I liked to, that. To, I guess it wasn't the only thing. The other thing would be the first scene, and, and this is kind of jumping ahead, but while I'm talking about nitpicks, <laughs> the uh, first scene where uh, Phineas Pratt is walking in the snow, uh, uh-huh. I wish that there had been a little bit more ambience there. It, it, it felt uh, a little thin, the backdrop sure, yeah. of sound there. And that was, a, that was really the only two little gripes that I had with this production. I, you wanted more cornstarch or whatever. They well, no, not the, the sound snow. effects <laughs> itself. I, oh, okay. The back, that was just the sound of the woods. Yeah, I didn't feel like there was anything there putting me in that scene. I could hear him walking, the footsteps. Oh, okay. But there was just like, it felt a little empty. I don't know how else to say Mm. it. The scene felt a little empty. Yeah. And again, these these are very minor, minor things that just kind of stood out to me a little bit. Uh, But otherwise, man, I think this thing was just extremely well done. Yeah. And that is something that uh, listening to it with Allison, she didn't grow up listening to audio dramas and stuff. And so when we were listening, what you had said earlier about a lot of the actors sounding similar, she had a hard time like distinguishing between the different characters. Um, And it's hard because, you know, you're you're not going to give them all different accents because they're from the same place or whatever, you know. But I think that's why I appreciated Winslow's voice having that distinctive quality. And I felt like I could always tell when it was Bradford or Standish or Winslow or Brewster speaking or like Phineas Pratt. But then like the side characters that they would bring in, sometimes I would get them mixed up with one of the, you know, main characters or whatever. And the first listen through, there was times when I was confused about who was speaking. And the second time I listened through, I was able to track with it better. Yeah, no, I I totally get that because – this is a huge story. I mean, we're talking, mm-hmm. well, like a decade and a half or maybe even two, right? I mean, it, it's a it's a yeah. long, long story and there's a lot of characters and there are a ton of little 
side characters all throughout. I mean, we had a cast of yeah. like, I didn't actually count them up, but it's somewhere around 50. Like it's a huge wow. cast. And uh, many of these actors were playing multiple parts. So Richard Everett, Andrew Harrison, Jake Phillips, Philip Sherlock, Nato, mm. uh, Nato Jacobson, um, mentioned Kathy Sarah a moment ago. Like they were all playing multiple yeah. people. And, and so, yeah, sometimes some of those side characters would it would sound a little bit similar to one of the other ones and you know right. it's just i mean you can't you can't hire individual actors for all of these it's just right. cost prohibitive right you know yeah, yeah. so they have yeah. to have some there has to be some concessions there so i i totally understand why they do that and i also understand yeah. how it could be a little bit confusing it in certain scenes well, and since it's historical, you can't just consolidate characters that can serve the same purpose, you know, if you're trying to be accurate. I mean, you can to some extent, I guess, but if you want to really give credit to who was there at what parts, then that's difficult to do. Right, right. So this is a, a bit of a spoiler, I suppose, but uh, <gasps> it, it, it's you kind of hard to... ample warning. Yeah, it is kind of hard to avoid... Because it is a big thing, but I I won't go into the detail, but William Bradford's wife does die. And I thought it was really interesting how they said that he never mentioned it at all in his journals. Oh, I know. And I can't. You think it was just because it was too hard to even talk about? That's the only thing that I could think of. But where else? I mean, like your journals, I don't know. You would think that that would be the place where he could you know, write about it. Like that's the, that's his personal space to use a modern term, but yeah. I don't know. Well, I did kind of get the impression that he wasn't just writing it to like express his thoughts, but he was trying to write like a history of the plantation for people to read. So, right. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's the impression I got. That's a fair point. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, his wife dying just felt so, um, sudden and anticlimactic because you're you're not like he's gone when it happens and he comes back and and uh yeah that was that was very tough yeah and there was you know several of those kinds of things that happened to many of the people in the story and it's just like man you you'd think that they were just like well there were times where they were even questioned like why did we make a mistake here what you know yeah, and I would have questioned that in the in their situation. You know, there was definitely times where I would have said, "Well, God, did I really? Am I really following what you wanted me to do?" Because th- this is, you know, I was gonna say it's not easy, and but like just that that seems like such a light word <laughs> to use with mm. what they were dealing with. You know, it was yeah. So they break ground in the new world 154 days after leaving Leiden which is the city where they had settled in in Holland. Mm. So December 23rd, I mean, December 23rd, the middle of winter on the East Coast, they're breaking ground <laughs> to build a, a, a place. I mean, it, it literally is like everything was against them the entire time, yeah. like all along the way. Yeah, that's such a horrible time to start doing anything, man. And you... Some of the like ethical things that came up, like the situations they're in there needing food. They see some uh, native tribesmen, but they won't talk to them. And and then they find a cache of food. And you're like, well, 
you really shouldn't be just taking that. But then at the same time, they're like, if if we didn't find this, we probably would have starved. And uh, those are tough decisions to make. You know, it's easy to say, oh, well, here's here's what you should have done. But like facing starvation, that's they were in a tough spot. Yeah. Well, and speaking of the natives, like there, we we mentioned this earlier. They don't sugarcoat the the tough parts of the story. Like there's a there's a scene where they they're basically raiding a, a, a Native American's home. Like I know, yeah, that <laughs> just was like digging through to. their stuff, and it's just like, I I mean, you can understand, and you can tell these... they were uncomfortable with it, and yet they were still doing it, you know. Yeah, and then they realize, oh, this this fire here is still warm. Uh, we should probably get out of here. <laughs> but it's just like, I again, I'm glad that they included that stuff in there. Like, right. it shows that there was, you know, hey, they didn't do everything right. They were not, they were not perfect. Um, and and they did. Try to make amends after the fact. They, you know, let's let's make it up. To, mm-hmm. There were a couple of different times where they said, you know what, we we did this. We we need to make up for this. We need to reach out to those people again and and see what we can do to make this right. You know, um, and after that point, that that particular settlement, the Plymouth Plantation there, that was headed by John Carver at first, and then Bradford, they did try to always deal honorably with the. Uh, the native people. Mm-hmm. Now there were some other people that came over that they did not, and and they were right. the ones that were causing a lot of the the problems. But they do definitely have some relationships with the with the people that goes fine. You know, they they have some who they become friends with, and but then there are others that they don't trust them, or they don't even want to try to you know reach out to the these white people which again i mean they're they're just like plowing through their stuff and like i i understand <laughs> why, where they're yes, coming from you, can, you know and you can definitely understand their perspective i i would have been upset as well and that what another great character was massasoit that that chief or that what what was the word they kept using sacum or Sachem yeah or something like that Sachem. Yeah, he he was an incredible character because of the good faith that he kept showing to them, even though there was definitely times where he could have cut them off, you know. And and I you know I understand it was like advantageous for him as well to have sure. them as an ally. But uh, I really I liked his character as well. Well, which that's how alliances work elsewhere too. It was like you know two countries or whatever. They don't necessarily go into an alliance just because it benefits the other party. You know, there has right. to be some some mutual benefit. So he was, a, I think, a, a wise leader in what he did. Yes. You know? Yeah. And then we have that scene where it was like the first harvest celebration, which a lot of times they said, Seth, the, the uh, kind of our tour guide through this story he said mm-hmm. that a lot of times people looking back will consider that to be the first Thanksgiving. However... The pilgrims themselves did not consider that to be their first Thanksgiving. It was the the one the following year. But um, here is a a little bit of a scene from that particular episode where we have that first harvest celebration. And this is where John Carver, the governor, who he was appointed the governor when they first arrive, he dies within the first year. And so 
that's when we get William Bradford standing up and saying, okay, you know, they vote him in. So let's, uh, let's take a listen to that scene where he becomes governor. All in favor of Mr. Bradford's nomination, say aye. Aye. Friends, I am humbled. Truly, I am. But I fear my lack of experience may prove to be a problem. Oh, we appreciate the humility and candor, sir. But we are fully confident thou shalt make a fine governor. I, I am yet in ill health. I, I may need an assistant. Fear not, William. We shall find thee an assistant. Ah, of course. Oh, Lord, help me. So Bradford entered a new chapter. He would now serve as the governor of the colony, a position he retained for 33 of the next 35 years of his life. On May 12th, another important event occurred. Edward Winslow married Susanna White. Susanna's husband had died four months earlier, leaving her and her son, Peregrine White, who had actually been born on the Mayflower. Hadn't Winslow's wife also just died? Less than two months earlier. (laughs) Talk about family adjustments. Not only that, but the newlyweds also opened their home to the 14-year-old Elizabeth Tilly, who had been recently orphaned. By summer, things were looking up. The corn had sprouted and was knee-high by the 4th of July, as they say. That was a really good example of a couple of different things that you mentioned earlier. Uh, One being how Jack and Ian kind of add their color commentary to the narrative um, and, Mm -hmm. and how it works out. And then also just an illustration of how many people died and all of these people that are losing loved ones just within a few months of arriving. Yeah. And the things they had to do just to survive, uh, because you know, you, I wouldn't advise somebody if their spouses had just died several months ago, like, Oh yeah, just jump in. But like she needed a provider, that girl who was orphaned needed, you know, it, it, it helped everyone, you know, yeah. for that to happen. But um, from our perspective, it's like, whoa, that's that's crazy, right? Yeah. yeah. I did like their knee high to the fourth by the fourth of July reference. It was a little nostalgic for me because my grandfather he used to say that all the time because oh. he had a farm and he would talk about the corn and he'd always say knee high by the fourth of July. That's cool. Yeah. And uh, there was a good moment just before that clip that I was remembering. I had written down that because um, after. Governor Carver dies, William Brewster comes to William Bradford and he says, William, I think it's your time. And William Bradford says, my time? Do I look ill? And he goes, no, no. <laughs> and he was talking about his time to become governor, but <laughs> the, the timing was very funny. Yeah. It, yeah. it really shouldn't have been funny maybe, but it, it, it did make me laugh. <laughs> I don't know if it's supposed to be funny now that I think about it. Well, speaking of the funny lines, like this is a pretty – dire story like there's not a whole lot of bright spots throughout this and so those little tiny moments where they do put a little bit of humor into the dialogue it really helps from the perspective of of the listeners and i'm sure i shouldn't say that i'm sure but i I don't think that you know the majority of those little things are actually in the historical record this is these writers putting this in for our sake, you know, because to listen to something that's so dark and dreary, you know, it wouldn't be enjoyable. You know, it would would feel like you're doing homework for history class, (laughs) but uh, to have those little moments throughout that kind of give you a little breather. It's not a, 
a laugh out loud moment, but you might get a little yeah. smile or a little chuckle from it, uh, especially one a little later on in the conversation in, between uh, Winslow and Corbett, one of the chiefs, where he tries to make a pun. And <laughs> that's right. It's like, bro, these people don't speak English. Well, they speak a little bit, but even if they did, like, <laughs> your pun there is not going to work. And he's like trying to explain it. And then he's like, oh, never mind. Language barrier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they had to put stuff like that in uh, <laughs> to give it a little levity. Right, yeah. I liked, um, this is from the narrator, but they uh, they asked the question and he goes, easy there, sports shoes. <laughs> like, sports shoes. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, is that, a, is that a Boston thing or what? <laughs> yeah, I don't know where that came from. That's another thing I want to implement into my daily speech. <laughs> hey, easy there. Sports shoes. And this isn't like a funny line, but I thought it was an, inter an, an interesting line. I wonder if this was in the record, but Weston is like sending them letters saying they need to send back uh, stuff so he can get a return on his investment. And uh, William Bradford says, you cannot reach into a naked man's pocket. And I I, I love that line. And uh, I don't know if it's not like it's a funny line or something, but it's a, it's a good line. It was a good retort. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that guy. I he was he was just a jerk, Thomas Weston, but he was played spectacularly by Andrew Harrison. Right, right. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I mean, and then the, I didn't I didn't even remember that until you just brought this up. Like they had finally had enough to spare where they could actually send stuff back. They load up this ship, send it back oh, with I know. pelts and stuff that they had collected and all this kind of yeah. stuff. And then the French capture the ship and take the entire <laughs> cargo. It's like, oh my, they just, they just cannot win. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, why? Yeah. That was really tough. That ship was called the fortune. Ironically enough. <laughs> <laughs> the bad fortune. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I guess it was fortune. Just not good fortune. <laughs> And just some of the leadership decisions that Bradford had to make, like when it came to that crazy situation with Squanto, which I don't know if that's a spoiler, but I was shocked. I was shocked at Squanto, I tell you. And uh, the decision that he had to make with him and with the other, with the other like with the like Massasoit, he's kind of caught in the middle and then trying to figure out how to handle Weston's men that he's sending and uh, mm -hmm. and he's, he always does right by them, you know, by Weston's men and when they're not doing anything to deserve it, you know? Right. And uh, I was, again, just thinking about the kind of decisions that he had to make and um, and how hard some of those things would have been. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mentioned this a moment ago, but there's a particular conversation that Winslow has with one of these chiefs, and he's talking about God and kind of comparing what they believed with what the, the natives believed. Yeah. That was so and interesting. It wasn't it. And it, it's funny. I did not know that you were going to be here for this review uh, when we talked on the last one, but we, we I, I know you mentioned this. that. Yeah. Yeah. In the, in yeah. That Jonathan Park a, so episode legit. that we talked about how he's explaining their, their beliefs and how they have a, a, a being that they think of as the creator, their, their God, but they're not sure if he's good all the time, you know, and he yeah. sometimes sends this other being and brings evil with him. And, and so it was very interesting. Oh, that, 
Yeah, the description of that other being that, uh, and he sometimes looks like an eagle, but usually he looks like a snake. Yeah. And uh, and we, you know, we don't we don't know that he's uh, trustworthy, but he gives sickness, so we pray for him to take it away. And and but he never comes around when you English are here. Yeah. And then he's, I think Winslow's like, well, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. was crazy. It was a perfect balance in that scene of information like they're they're getting this information across to us as the listener sharing what these indians believed but also there was some humor in there several different times you know they're trying to remember the the 10 commandments for, you know and and there's a couple of other little moments throughout this where there's a just a, a, a little aside that is kind of a a little lighter a little uh, levity there yeah. And so it's like it's still getting across this information, but it doesn't come across as like a just an info dump, um, right? Right. And having them kind of going back and forth and comparing things—that was one of my favorite scenes. And I don't know, it's not like an action-packed thing there, but there's something about it. I just really liked the the way it played out. I just thought it was good. Oh, I did too. I did too. Well, and so we had Corbitant and. We have Squanto and Habamok. These are some of the natives that they had a good relationship with. Massasoit becomes very sick, and so they send help to him. And so they have these allies and things. But then because of these other settlements that, that Weston has tried to start and uh, the lack of uh, integrity or, or any kind of decorum amongst these some of these people, things start turning south between them and the natives and and we have these these couple characters Pexuit and Widowamit and they're kind of like stirring things up and so we mentioned Phineas Pratt earlier he's a fantastic character uh, <laughs> he was played by Richard Everett and he tries to get just sneak out of the settlement there so he could go get help and uh so let's take a listen to a little scene from that where he flees the village. And this is from the episode called Standish Strikes. At the very same time, in Wessagusset, Phineas Pratt finally received his chance to escape. Pexowitz's men had watched him carefully for seven days, but on the eighth day, they let down their guard. I shall need a compass. We have only the ship's compass. Oh, no, that's too big. I, I shall use the sun to guide me. Yeah, take my gun. Oh, I've borne no arms of defence these past seven days. If I go out there now with a gun and they see me, they shall know something is afoot. Then take my little rucksack. I shall pack it with dry clothing in case you get wet from the snow. Oh, thank you, but I intend to stay dry. Just take it, Phineas. You know they shall pursue thee. If they catch thee... Then I shall put my hope in God. So Phineas Pratt took his hoe and the backpack and walked to the long swamp near the Indian houses. He began digging on the edge of the clearing, as if looking for nuts. Seeing no one around, he dashed into the forest. Oh, God... Don't let them get me. He had a 25-mile journey to reach Plymouth, and he ran hard for an hour. Oh, man, hear that music coming in there. It sounds so good. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and like when Pak Suet is threatening him leading up to that scene, there were some creepy moments with him and Pak Suet that I was like my skin was crawling when he's talking about you know, my knife doesn't speak, it doesn't see, it doesn't hear, but sometimes it eats. And yeah. he's talking about his other knife and they're gonna get married and you'll be there. And it was like and he's like, uh, are you threatening me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whoa. So uh Squanto was played by Christian Gill, Hopamock by Josh Murray, Pexoet by Nato Jacobson, Widowamet by Eric Schilder, and Corberton by Peter Morton. And I thought they all did really good jobs with those characters. Because, mm. yeah. you know, sometimes some of the kind of that stuff can be cringy when they're, you know, doing accents or or, sure. or even sometimes dialogue in some of these things, especially in like old time radio or whatever, where yeah. they're, they're doing this for, for natives. And it's like, oh, come on. You know, they do, they make them sound like really unintelligent and stuff like that. They didn't do that at all here. And in fact, there was even a line where he, I don't remember now which, which one it was, but one of the, I think it was one of the chiefs was like, do you think we're, we're not smart or some, something like that? And he's like, no, 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 not at all. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that was in that scene you were talking about earlier where he said, I'm surprised to hear all this stuff that sounded like it was coming right out of the Bible from him. And uh, oh, that's like, it. what yeah. you think we don't, <laughs> you think we don't know stuff? And he's like, no, no. I yeah. Can't remember what, uh, yeah, I can't remember how he said it either. He didn't say, you think we don't know stuff. He said something else. <laughs> yeah, he didn't say, um, you don't think we're smart either. I, for, I forget exactly how he worded it, but yeah. Yeah, I so know what you're talking about. I, I think it was a fair re- representation. I, like, I haven't even studied all of these, what do they call it, primary sources, you know. For, so I can't make a judgment one way or the other, but I think this is the most – fair across the board from all perspectives that I've ever heard. So it makes sense to me that, that they have done it, the story justice. Yeah. And you could tell there was a big culture gap, you know, with the way that they would respond to each other or whatever and language and all that. And I was fascinated by, cause there's several scenes where they're talking in like, I think a couple different uh, dialects, and I don't know if maybe the consultants helped them get that right, but it sounded really good. It sounded like they're, you know, talking fluently in those, uh, those other languages. Yeah. Well, and they were even very respectful of like some of their traditions about how, you know, they would sing themselves to sleep and <laughs> some, so, some of the Englishmen weren't super respectful. About well, that. <laughs> well, some of them were annoyed by it, but then I think it was Winslow. He's like, I- I've kind of come to like that, you know? And, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Winslow through the whole thing, he he seemed like he was always really interested in learning more from their perspective. Yeah. And this is something that I I don't think I ever had heard before, but that treaty that Bradford was able to negotiate with multiple different tribes, they said it lasted for 50 years. That's crazy. Yeah, I I had no idea. Like I said, I, I don't have any recollection of ever... Having heard that before, I suppose it's possible that it was mentioned in school, but I doubt it. Yeah, that leading up to that treaty, and they find out about that plot, and they're told you have to you have to strike first, or you'll all be dead. And they're trying to make that decision, and that was another one of those really tough decisions where you know it would be easy to just condemn them for that, but then you put yourself in their shoes, and you're like, what would I have done? And even like Allison and I were reading in Jeremiah the other day. 
And there's this story where the governor that the king of Babylon leaves behind, um, somebody comes and tells him, hey, there's an assassin from the king of Ammon who's going to try to kill you. And he doesn't believe it. And then he ends up getting killed. And we were like, well, wow, what do we take from this story? Because it doesn't really seem like he should have just gone and taken that guy out. But then at the same time, he probably shouldn't have invited him over for dinner like he did. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. And that, yeah, that was that was like listening to stories like this from history. We have to kind of think through these things. And that was kind of a tough, a tough moment for me thinking about it. Yeah. And I think it was kind of good that they, they didn't make a call one way or the other. You know, they kind of leave it up to the listener to, um, yeah, they just did say, you kind of have to really know the full picture before you make a, a judgment one way or the other. You get, you know, it's easy for us to look back on history and, right. and make judgments about people when we're hundreds of years or thousands of years removed from these yeah, exactly. events and, you know, they say history is written by the the victors or, or however that saying goes or whatever. But so, you know, even with firsthand accounts in certain things, you're never going to have the full picture with because you weren't there. You know, you yeah. didn't you didn't know all of the details. And so right. that's not to say that, that there aren't some point. things that are black and white and that it's sure, it, you sure. can say definitively that was the wrong thing. But right, you just right. have to. You know, you have to be careful and proceed with caution, I guess, you know, when you're when you're making judgments about people. Yeah, I know. It's just helping to prepare me for when somebody's trying to assassinate me and I have to make that decision whether I'm <laughs> going to take them out. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just a, it's an interesting story, like all the way around. And like I said earlier, even though it's called William Bradford and he is, you know, the main character, we follow his life. There are so many other characters that are involved in this. And I think it would be fair to say that he wouldn't have been able to do what he did without having Miles Standish and, you know, yeah. uh, William Brewster and even John Carver, you know, to kind of lay the foundation, you know, all these people they're remarkable. They're just remarkable people. Yeah, definitely. And there were there were so many good lessons through it that are instructive for today. Even, you know, when they were making the point about their system being similar to communism and how it just doesn't work. And it sounds great in theory, but in practice, we have an like a case study of how that that didn't work in the in the early colonies. It it had the wrong effect. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that that's all that I have on this one. I I think it was a, an absolutely fantastic audio drama. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I've listened to it like three and a half times now. Mm. <laughs> and uh, yeah. it's, it's just so good all the way around with the acting. Like, I mean, a couple of these actors were nominated for for best actor this year we had richard everett as william brewster and peter morton as miles standish both nominated for best leading actor and philip glassborough slash sherlock as john robinson and john billington just great performances uh richard everett as as phineas pratt fantastic uh it's just very very well done yeah absolutely 
do you have any final final thoughts on this one? Well, just um, the it was one of the last lines, and I wrote it down. But they were making a point about you know because they at the beginning they were talking so much about how the Brinkmans were related to William Bradford, and and then he makes this point about just because your ancestors did something doesn't necessarily mean you're going to reflect that, whether it's good or bad. Mm -hmm. And then he made a broader application and said, just because America traces her roots back to the pilgrims, that doesn't mean she'll hold on to those values. And each generation has to make choices. And, uh, and I thought that was a really great place to leave it for, for all of us to dwell on. And I think this drama, if, I would definitely recommend it to people like in homeschooling and in, in different circumstances to be able to um, study about this and, and recognize what was going on at the beginning of this country and, uh, and the lessons that it has for us today. I think it's a really timely audio drama. Absolutely. Yes. And that is a perfect way that they capped it off there with that, that lesson. And like I said earlier, that, that was intentional. That was kind of the goal of this production was to tell this story and draw applications to our lives. And um, one thing that I thought was really cool is the, like I said, you grow up in, in, in school, you hear mentions of the pilgrims, but I don't recall ever hearing why they were called that, where that mm. came from. And they addressed that. It was directly from a line from Bradford that he had written. And he said, speaking of Leiden, the city that they left, he said, so they left that goodly and pleasant city, which had been their resting place near 12 years, but they knew they were pilgrims and looked not much on those things, but lift up their eyes to the heavens, their dearest country and quieted their spirits. Mm. And I thought, wow, what a great perspective. Yeah. That's beautiful. Quite the writer there. I mean, I, I know that there are yeah. some places in his writings where it was a little more bland and not quite as polished, but that's that's beautiful. I, I can always appreciate a well-crafted sentence. <laughs> yes, definitely. Definitely. Well, link is in the show notes if you want to get your copy, which I highly recommend. Again, it is split into two volumes, so part one uh, and part two, they're... They're each about $20, depending on if you get the, the CDs or the digital download. Uh, so a little bit more for the CDs, but definitely worth it. Again, five and a half hours runtime. And actually, I mean, this episode coming out when it is, it's a good time to get this for your family and listen to it as we head into the the Thanksgiving holiday. Yeah, just a month after JD's birthday, so... Make sure you send those belated birthday gifts. <laughs> well, thank you, Michael, for joining me for this review. Uh, always a pleasure having you on the show and talking audio drama and, and whatever else we can squeeze into the conversation. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. We talked about a lot of things. The book of History Jeremiah. And and the Kings of <laughs> my England. My knowledge of <laughs> King James IV. And, yeah. 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 And... Uh, no, I really appreciate you uh, having me on. It's always an honor and a pleasure. And uh, what a great audio drama to be discussing. I, I second your recommendation of it. So uh, what do you think of the show? Please leave your message after the tone. Hi, Audio Theater Central. Hey, guys, this is Austin Peachy. 
Hello, JD, Roy, Andrew. My name is Victoria. Now, yesterday, I received a letter from a big fan. No time to chat. I've got an email list. Another package for me today. No, it's actually just your mail. Oh, yes, it is time for some feedback. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can send your emails to feedback at audiotheatercentral.com, comment on the show notes, or send a text or leave a voicemail at 623-688-2770. Love, love, love to hear from you. So please get in touch with us. Share your feedback on the show in general, any of the production that we've talked about, any questions about audio drama. We love to hear from you. Well, the first item is an Apple Podcasts review from Greg, and the username is Greg, followed by a long string of numbers, which I will not read to you. (laughs) But his review was five stars, and he said, breaking news, I love ATC. I enjoy the cleanliness of the episodes. And then he adds, also, Roy has the perfect voice for Jason in AIO if the actor were to stop acting. (laughs) I personally don't hear the similarity there between Roy and Townsend Coleman, but regardless, thank you, Greg, for the five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Um, Much, much appreciate that. It's always nice to hear and see that, that folks are enjoying the show. So thank you, Greg. Also, we heard from Blake on our, on the ATC throne room. He goes by a username in, in throne, but he just shared a message, um, a little while ago, and he said, it just came in, my first ever AIO album, A Maze of Mysteries, and I love it. I have to point out that as a blind man, I am absolutely touched how Focus on the Family handles the character of Ginny Roberts. I'm so glad that they didn't make her this helpless, bumbling fool. Instead, they made her a smart and resourceful young lady, and I thank Focus on the Family and Paul McCusker for their handling of Ginny. I thought that was really good feedback. Glad to hear that you're getting into Odyssey now. And that's valuable feedback, I think. And I've heard from other visually impaired people that they really resonated with and and liked the character of Ginny. And that's why I was so interested to hear what fans thought about Ezra in that recent AIO album. And I asked for feedback, and I didn't hear from any of our blind listeners. And I know we have several. So um, I would love to hear from you still. (laughs) Well, that'll do it for this episode. I want to thank you for tuning in. As I said a few moments ago, if you'd like to get in touch with us, we we love to hear from you. All of the methods for reaching out to us are at audiotheatercentral.com slash contact. And the show notes, which links to all of the stuff that we talked about, is at audiotheatercentral.com slash 172. Thank you so much to Michael Schrader for joining me for the review this episode. And I also want to mention real quickly that the song used to transition into the review is called Pilgrims by Rick Elias from his record titled Blink. And this is a song that I've loved for many, many years. I thought it just fit perfectly for the discussion in this, in this episode. So I decided to drop that in there and um, link is in the show notes. If you want to check that out. Well, we will see you next time. Thank you so much for listening. Hi, this is Jonathan Cook from Santa Fe Springs, California. Audio Theater Central is a production of Porchlight Family Media. The theme music was composed by Sam Avendano. The show is produced and edited by J.D. Sutter. 
Find the website at audiotheatercentral.com. Porchlight Family Media. Your source for family-centered content. Porchlightfamilymedia.com.